Confidence is tricky with refs. Mm. If you have it, it can actually be damaging to your referee. I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. Squash has this amazing ability to just blow up all of a sudden in a country. Let's take Slovenia. 30 years ago, well, 32 to be exact, there was not a single squash court in the country. Back then, it was just one of six socialist republics that made up Yugoslavia. This June, by the way, is the 30th anniversary of Slovenia's statehood independence. Anyway, today, 30, 32 years later, there's a thriving squash scene all around the small Central European nation that just has 2 million people. The heart of the community is Squashland. The first iteration had eight courts and was open from 1991 to 2006. The second version, across town in Ljubljana, has six courts. It appeared about two years ago. It's very eco-friendly with solar panels, vegetable garden. It's all energy passive, zero waste, and it's built entirely of wood. In April 2019, two years ago, Squashline hosted the first Slovenia Masters, which had 150 players from 28 countries. 28 countries. Incredible. Last year's iteration was canceled, of course. Some other neat facts about Slovenia squash. A 19-year-old Adrian Waller won his first pro title there back in 2009. And during one World Squash Day, 300 people participated in a 24-hour squash marathon there. Probably the one thing that many people do know about Slovenia squash is what came out last summer, that there had been a cluster of positive COVID-19 cases at a squash club in Maribor, Slovenia's second, second largest city. I vividly remember hearing the news from a friend, and it happened on the 4th of March. And that was the day when the first confirmed case of COVID in Slovenia was announced. One squash player, he had just gotten back from Italy, and he and his playing partner that evening played squash, left, and came down with the virus. Two players who arrived at the club after the first two had left but played on the same court, also developed symptoms and tested positive. Then two more players on the same court that night after them also tested positive. Well, one tested positive and the other one developed symptoms and never got tested. Anyway, Slovenia's most well-known squash export is probably Marko Podgorzak. Marko is one of just 19 world squash referees and he's the only one from a country without a player ever having been ranked in the world top 100. Marco got launched by the 2000 World Juniors, but it was the European Team Championships, a famously intense annual competition that fully brought him into the refereeing ranks. Pre-pandemic, Marco traveled about 100 days a year to referee matches. Here's a conversation we had where he discusses what he thinks about confidence, trusting your gut instincts and what it is like to referee a match with over a hundred decisions. Marco told me recently that he hasn't refereed a match in exactly a year and is suffering through withdrawal symptoms. Anyway, enjoy. All right, Marco. Um, so uh, you first came across squash in 1991 when you were about 18. Um, what was what was the uh, circumstances? You had you had a friend who was playing. Yeah, I had a friend who was who started playing. Uh, said, "Come on, let's give it a go," and we did. 
and all of a sudden I was hooked basically mm. because it, it was a game that uh, unlike tennis which I played all until then actually offered many new possibilities it was uh, it even it involved much more action much more running so pretty soon I just gave up on tennis and stayed so, stayed with squash altogether you said you sold your rackets yeah literally sold my rackets and just and stayed in squash, squash racket. yeah bought a squash racket actually bought many of them because it took quite a while for me to uh, to get um, to, to not be aggravated on a squash court for not being able to hit the ball the way I thought it should be hit. But that's a different story. And, and, and your racket would break from uh, frustration? Uh, somehow, yeah. <laughs> it just kind of happened. Um, so you said that the first squash courts in Slovenia were built in 1989. Uh, tell me about those two courts. Yeah, those were two courts that were built in, at the mountain resort uh, in at, it's called Trogla, and they've got linoleum flooring. Never mind about the measurements. Nobody ever te tested them whether they're correct or not. The side walls are curvy, but it was a start actually. Yeah. And you've played on those courts? Yes, I've played on those courts. Is it's, it hard to play on a court that's made out of the floors made out of linoleum? Is it, does well, the ball just skip? Yeah, all you have to do is hit the ball hard. Yeah. And it's as if throwing stones on the water, right? It, it just skids. It flies away. So um, there were a couple courts built in 1990? Yeah, around 1991, mm. beginning of 92. Yep. Actually, three centers opened. One uh, clo close to the city of Ljubljana mm. and two uh, directly within the city. Altogether, they had like, I think they started with uh, six courts in one. Mm four courts in the other, then they expanded. Then were, were these uh, clubs that were built primarily for squash, or were they health clubs that happened to have some courts? Uh, both, both. Two of them were actually multi-sport centers. One was dedicated to, squ to, to squash only. Yeah. And do you have any idea why squash all of a sudden comes to Slovenia uh, at that time? Was, was it because of the, the breakup of Yugoslavia and more people visiting, or what, what was... No, actually, I don't think it had anything to do with the political situation. Uh, it was all due to several people that got infected with squash in one way or another. Uh, either one of them, I, I think, went skiing to France and there was a squash court and he said, what's this? And started playing, came back, started building courts. I think, I think, I think that's the way the story goes. But basically, it went, came down to individuals right. who actually wanted squash. It, was, to it wasn't a government program saying, well, let's get into this sport. No, yeah. no, nothing like it. And one of the, one of the centers, uh, one of the clubs actually opened within an old warehouse, right? Because it was like a public warehouse facility that had several buildings. Mm. And little by little, they got refurbished into shops and they took one of them. So the real estate was fairly cheap, right. affordable at the time, and it could be done. Unfortunately, that's not the case nowadays. Right. So you started playing, and 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 were you were there tournaments? Were you playing in the national championships? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, started playing, came to a first tournament, got badly beaten by a by a lady, a couple of years older than myself. Then I've seen, oh, well, that's the way game is supposed to be played. Uh, then started training, ended up just being just 
probably just shy of making the national team for European competitions. Mm. But little by little got involved into refereeing afterwards. Uh, yeah, so how did that get started? <clears throat> well, the system within Europe it was such at the time that every country that sent a team to European team championships had to send somebody to be the ref. It wasn't down to qualification or whatever, it was just to make up the numbers. Mm. And um, I didn't make the team, so they asked me, you're still a student, you have the time, you want to go, you know the rules, and I said, why not, right? At right. least I'll watch the matches. So I did, and I did that a couple of times, and got some experience. And What was it like the first time you refereed outside of Slovenia? Oh, Were it you was nervous? Absolutely, absolutely. I was just, we were refereeing in a referee and a marker system, and mm. I was the marker, and I was supposed to announce the match. They told me how to do it, what to say. Where, where, where was this? What, what country? It was in, in Austria, in Vienna. In Vienna? Yeah, it was in Vienna. I could barely open my mouth. I was just like petrified. Who, do you remember who was playing? No, no idea. No idea who played that first match, no. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it was. It was interesting. So that's how you got in, just because the rule was everybody needs to have somebody who's, who's yes. a referee, whether you're qualified or not. Whether you're qualified or not doesn't, didn't matter at the time. But luck, luckily for me, at the second Europeans I went to, which was just, those two were a couple of years apart, I believe, mm -hmm. um, and it was at the same location. In Vienna again. In Vienna again. Mm -hmm. And I met a couple of Italian referees who were actually just negotiating with... Uh, with the tutor from England, Graham Horrocks, a, a refereeing course in Italy. So I asked if I could join. They said, yeah, sure, no problem. So I, a couple of weeks later, I just sat in my car and went to Bolzano in Italy, took the course, and um, there was also the president of Italian Squash Federation. We met, and he said, you joined the course you should know how to ref at least to a certain level. You mm. speak English and you speak Italian as well, whereas Italians aren't renowned for, for being good at English. Right. So he said, you can ref and be a little bit of a translator as well, interpreter. And he said, we want to have you at World Junior Championships in Milan in, in, Milan in 2000. And that's how I, it actually really started. So you refereed uh, some matches at, the, at that tournament? Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, I ended up being in Milan for two weeks, wow. met a lot of people, refed a lot of matches, been assessed for the first time. I didn't know what an assessment was until then, right? All of a sudden, a lady comes by and says... With a clipboard. With a clipboard and with, with highly pitched, awful, really polite English-mannered voice. She says, my name is Dorothy, I'm here to assess you. And I go like, what? And she did. Wow. Were there, uh, so that, that tournament was the first time you really felt like you were a legitimate, you know, professionally trained ref in a way? I mean, w did you feel more confident about your abilities or were you still sort of figuring out no. whether you were making the right calls? Uh, well, confidence is tricky with refs. Mm. If you have it, it can actually be damaging to your refereeing, right? If you're overconfident and you don't constantly question your decisions, you have a closed mind and basically you're not open to new information and new ways. Right. 
unfortunately, over the years, I've seen many of those referees who thought they knew it, but none of them did yeah. so far. Well, and one of the things that you talked about yesterday was how the rules haven't changed sometimes, but the interpretation, the enforcement, the application of those rules has evolved. And, and so, you know, you know, you could say, well, you know, the rule's always been there, but now we're treating it a little differently. And, and so, you know, as a referee, just like with anything, you need to, you need to continually, um, you know, evolve and, and keep, keep uh, training. Yeah, that's true. Well, the rules have, haven't changed. Right. The last significant change was the implementation of minimal interference. Right. But other than that, the rules have always been there. They were just applied in a really, really loose manner. As soon as there was a little bit of a contact, I mean, just the other day, I found, I came across a video on YouTube of Jahangir playing, and there was a lad, the ball was like miles away. He wasn't even going towards the ball. He just leaned on the guy mid-court, the ball was in the back right corner, and it was a lad. But that was a legitimate lad at the time. Right, in the 80s, yeah. Yeah, in the 80s. Nowadays, it's impossible, right? And that's where actually PSA made a massive, massive step forward with the implementation of the role of uh, referee, referees coordinator, uh, who actually works as a liaison between the players and the refs, which actually never existed. As a referee, you cannot really connect to the players on a personal basis, because you, you either appear to be too familiar with somebody, which is damaging, or you actually become too familiar with somebody, which is damaging again. And um, PSA is therefore like, educating players what they want them to do and telling the refs how they want the game to be refed. The end result being we came down from 60-odd decisions in a match to an average of 18, I believe, decisions in a man's match in today's game. Wow, we've cut it by two-thirds. Yeah. In, yeah. in only three and, or four years. And it's still going down. Yeah, right. And that's actually because if the decisions are harsh, if the referee pins the blame on somebody, they know that they're gonna lose the point. Even if they stop, it's not just, oh yeah, I'm gonna get a lead anyway. Well, not anymore. That's fantastic. I didn't realize it had gone that, that far down. It has, it has. The statistics PSA has got based on the tri-ref system, mm. everything's in, in their computers, everything's in the database and they can get all sorts of information out of it. Right, right. And it, the system they've got is amazing. So back in 2000, you're in Milan. Um, do you remember any of the matches you refed? One, actually. Yeah, I remember one. Graham Horrocks was there as well. He was assessing me on the match. And we were refing on, on high tennis chairs yeah. in front of the court. Uh, glass court or a, a, a... Glass back court. Glass, just a glass back. Just yeah. a glass back. And... An Italian lady was the marker. Her mind was wandering about the whole time. She kept losing score and wasn't in the match at all. I tried to keep everybody calm because I had, uh, I think I had the Australian and the Argentinian team sitting below me, each each in the, on its bench, and it was it was crazy. Uh, that was crazy, but the match went well in the end. Mm. It was interesting though. Yeah. Well, there's a huge difference between refereeing a, a PSA match uh, versus uh, a, a team match. I mean, just dramatically different, you know, the emotions and the, the team and the coaches and 
flags waving. It is, but probably not in the way you thought, mm. judging by, by the question. Uh, the thing is, I reffed top European players in the European events. Mm. I reffed Nick Matthew, reffed Greg Gaultier, reffed Alex Goff, all of them. I've seen them in team events. And yes, it was difficult to rev them. Then I got invited to Qatar Classic, came there, and there it was about money and the points. And those same people, which I've known for years, were, weren't the same anymore. They were completely different. It was, uh, they, they went for the jugular, the first opportunity they had, because that was their, their, their life, that yeah. was their livelihood. Yeah. It was completely different. Really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, uh, did you start refereeing, uh, you know, after Milan, were you sort of getting fully into it, or were you still doing your job and finishing your studies or whatever and doing other things? Well, to make one thing clear, straight away, there's no such thing as a professional sports right. referee. Nobody can make a living of it. We're all volunteers with basically getting our, our expenses covered. Uh, so yes, obviously I was still doing my job, yeah. uh, but I kept cruising from one European event to the next, either be it European individuals, European clubs, got invited here. I came to one event and they asked me to come to the next one a couple of months later, which were quite significant gaps, whereas refereeing is the same as everything, right? If you, if you lay down your racket for, for three months, you're not going to be as good as you were three months ago. Yeah. Refereeing is the same, right? You have to keep at it. And um, then it, when it really started changing was, I think it was 2006, if I remember mm. the, the year correctly, when uh, European teams were in uh, Riccione in Italy. That's when ESF came with all available assessors. I think they, I, yeah, I'm, they invited a couple of WSF assessors from outside the region to give them a hand as well. and. That, that club's got seven courts, and I don't believe this, a single match went unassessed. Wow. Uh, they decided they must make a difference. They need a new base of referees. Yeah. And that's when actually a couple of us just went, our career started right. for real. Right, right. Um, at the time, had you done some coaching levels, uh, not coaching, uh, refereeing levels? Had, had you gotten certified? You know, were there, what was the system back then? There wasn't one really. There, there wasn't like an overall system. I did, I, I did the previously mentioned course. Then it was more or less just learning by doing, right? You mm -hmm. learn from one assessment, from one match to the next one. Right. Not having, not having difficult matches at home or anybody to work with, I had to basically sit on a plane to get to a, to a proper match. Uh, did a couple of coaching uh, certificates along the way somewhere, but Right. Gave, up, gave up on coaching. Um, and then uh, after 2006, you started doing it more actively and, and traveling more. Yeah, yeah, I started traveling more, mm. doing it more, and little by little, first I got to, to become a regional referee, mm -hmm. and then I got appointed WSF referee. When was that? Not sure, to be honest. I think it was 2010. Mm -hmm. I think it was in 2010. First, you get appointed for one year as a probation period. Then, after a year, if you've done well within that year, you get appointed for three years. Right. 
So and then you just got yeah. recertified. Yeah, I got recertified twice. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, what's the worst match you've ever <laughs> had to deal with? <laughs> <laughs> the worst match I ever had to do. Well, one pops to mind. It was um, European teams in where was it? It was in Finland. European teams in Finland. I think it was the semi-finals between France and Italy. Italy came with a remarkable team. They had an Egyptian playing. Um, so it was a really strong team. And the players on court were, uh, am I allowed to tell the players as well? Okay, cool. Were Davide Bianchetti and Mathieu Castanier. And it was a three referee system and I had I was a regional referee with two freshly appointed WSF referees on the side, and we really didn't didn't click together the way we should, right? Basically, I should have taken control of the match, but I didn't have enough experience to do so, right? There were stories a little bit longer, but to cut it short, I ended up with being assessed on the match with, I think there were 102 decisions. In, in five games. A five-game match. Yeah, it was horrible. That, that was, I mean, definitely priceless experience. Yeah, you learned a lot. I learned a lot. Uh, but that was actually what can happen if the referee doesn't take control of the match. In the beginning right. of the match. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, then I had French coach standing up saying, are you going to do something about it? In Asking that in front of everybody. Uh, just as I was about to, right? Then you cannot for a couple of rallies because you'll be perceived as biased. Yeah. Then you wait a while, then bam, this is the good situation. Now I'm going to, and he goes up again, right? I mean, ba basically, there's no apology. I just didn't do my job, but it, it was interesting set of circumstances. Well, I think that's part of the problem of being a ref uh, in squash is the, the crowd is all around you normally. So you, you're hearing their comments, right? I mean, you're, you're sort of a part of the group. You're not separate like in, in, in tennis. You know, you're down on the court and you know, there's some physical distance between you and the, and the, uh, and the crowd. Yeah, that, that is one of the specifics of refereeing squash. Uh, you easily get distracted. You hear people sitting next to you. You know they've been in squash for probably 20 years longer mm. than you have. Mm. You respect them, and they make a comment, they make a decision, and you think like you you end up thinking, mm -hmm. am I seeing this correctly? Should I, should it go the other way? So through the years, I actually developed my own system of how not to get distracted. Mm. Right? Especially, it helped in the three referee system. Before I before I saw the other decisions, I actually made a hand signal for myself. Right, based on my gut instinct. Before, before I could hear everybody, anybody, see anybody, I just clenched the fist for a stroke, mm. pointed an OLED, pointed the SLED, just for myself, right, within my lap. And then I looked left or right to mm. see what the others thought, but I just wanted to make my mind clear, yeah. straight, and not get distracted. And then I just thought, well, if I was overruled, fine, right, but my decision is such, and I'm sticking by it. And it helped me through the years, because Usually, that first gut instinct decision mm. is the correct one. That's right, right. So you've gone from 
uh, a two referee system, you know, referee marker, yes. to three, yes. and now you're down to one. Now we're down down to one yeah. with the help of a video referee yeah, at, if, if at the top matches. At the top yeah. matches. So how do you feel about all that? You know, what 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 was the best system for you, or is it working best now, or what? How did those changes go? Let's put it this way: they all made sense at the time, but the time had passed. Mm. Uh, the thing is, three referee system was adapted to cut down on the arguments, which it did yep. to a point because you still needed the central referee to tell the players to stop addressing side referees and to keep them in line. Uh, then when the single referee came back, somebody said, this is the system that's going to separate the boys from the men. That's right. And that's what it does. Yeah. It does. You need lots of experience. Yeah. You need, you need confidence. Yeah. And let's say you, you you must appear confident, even if you're not. Right. Even if you're jello on the inside, you should be just polite and calm Fair. on the outside. Yeah. And um, I actually like it. I prefer the single ref because it's easier to take control. The fall is all yours, right? But, I mean, had that happened, let's say, five, six years ago, mm. it would be more difficult. Because? But because I, I had less experience. Yeah. Now, it's... It's easier this way. Mm. But you were saying earlier about confidence that, that uh, you, 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 you don't want to be overconfident, especially when you're the only guy there. Yeah, you, you don't want to be. I mean, if I don't feel butterflies in my stomach as I start to ref, mm. then, I, then I get afraid. Because that keeps you on your toes, keeps you alert. Mm. Right? That adrenaline that starts... I mean. They're measuring the heart rate of the players nowadays. It would be interesting to measure the heart rate of ref as well. Because although we're just sitting there, nobody's got a heart rate of 65, definitely. Mine is over 100, I'm sure. It would be interesting to follow that along with the, you know, the decisions getting made or whatever. Yes, definitely. The, uh, I mean, you guys are an integral part of the, uh, of the game. And, uh, and yet, you're, you know, usually you're sort of ignored unless you know, something controversial happens. Well, basically, if nobody knows who refereed the match, you did a great job. That's right. Right? It's not up to us to take the, to, to take the stage. Yeah. That's up to the players. We're, we're just the facilitators, right? We're hel helping them along. Just right. like any sport. Just like yeah. court cleaners, just like the guys taking care that the light, light bulbs are working. Yeah. We're just pro helping to provide entertainment for the crowd. Right, right. What's the um, uh, situation now in Slovenia, squash-wise? Um, there's a new, uh, new, a new clubs being built. Yeah, new clubs being built. It should open by, by August, mm -hmm. hopefully. And straight away, we're organizing Balkan Championships. It's an event that's been going on for a couple of years now. It was uh, a team event throughout the years. Now it's going to be for the first time individual, men, women, and juniors. Mm -hmm. So it sort of develops the region, but within Slovenia, yeah, this is actually the first, let's say, after 12 years since the main club shut down. This is finally a, a club where we'll be able to organize proper events, mm. organize proper uh, training for kids. Although we have several clubs with one, two courts yeah. that are doing wonders. Right. Right, they've got lots of kids, and our kids—you can find them on uh, European junior rankings. Yep. 
because the National Association invests everything into kids. Mm. Yeah, their national rankings, members' national rankings, if you look at it, the average age of the top 10 players is over 40. Yeah. That makes no sense any no, anymore, right. right? You have to bring in new generations. Yeah. And that's what we're focusing on. Yeah, yeah. Um. That's interesting about the Balkans having that be a, a, a you know a little mini region where you can help each other develop and 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 uh, you know you can drive to each other's clubs as opposed to having to fly. Oh no, no we're we're, we're not that close. I mean, the countries that are actually eligible to participate, uh, I think there are eleven altogether, mm. nine or eleven countries. Amongst them is Albania, Macedonia. Uh, so yeah, if if you organize it in Slovenia, they're gonna have to board the plane. Uh, huh. But that was actually forced by a guy from, from Serbia mm. who actually negotiated with ESF to recognize and sanction the event. Mm. Of course, I'm the, I'm the ESF tutor and assessor, yeah. referees tutor and assessor, yeah. so I could act as a, as a championship referee. Mm. Then we, we got another guy from Austria, Michael Kahn, helped us a lot in developing that event. And it, it actually is good for the region. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Get... get uh get you know more people playing and people coming to attend the event and parents watching and saying oh I want my, my yeah and you can actually in. use it as an incentive for the kids right. to you train get, to, get get to, better, to, to get better to get better yeah you'll yeah. get you you'll get to go to the Balkan championships right, right. you're going to see something different something better the standard isn't isn't much to be honest yeah right because nobody's a professional right everybody's got a day job but still the atmosphere is amazing and it that's what actually helps yeah that's right How's your your playing? Are you still playing actively? Or are you uh, no? Going, are you going back to tennis? Are you are you, no. going, are you having to buy some tennis rackets? The thought did cross my mind, to be honest. But um, no, unfortunately, I don't play squash anymore. Yeah, my left knee is gone, so it cannot sustain squash. Yeah, lunges are simply too much. Yeah, yeah. Um. And have you been? You, you came to the TOC once. Uh, you've been to Qatar. Like you have, you're traveling around the world now, doing some of the the major events. Is yes. That, is that? Uh, yeah. I mean, as you say, you're you're you know more or less a volunteer. It, it, it's tricky to do that with you know family and job and and life. But uh, that's part of what you're doing now, huh? Yeah, it is part of what I'm doing. I, I've I have to be honest. I've always had really supporting partner yeah. my wife was behind me all the way she said well if I had an opportunity to go I'd go as well so go ahead right yeah. of course you have to have to make uh, make certain um, how do you call it adjustments uh, adjustments yeah. Yeah, definitely you cannot go any t every, every time you'd like yeah. um, but besides that I'm also self-employed yeah. which means I don't have a daily schedule it's all in all in my hands if I didn't have those two factors I, I just couldn't do it yeah. No. Yeah. because when I did the math one year which was my busiest year I was away for 101 day out of 365 which is which is a lot yeah you told me that yet a couple yeah. days ago. I couldn't believe it. I heard in one days <laughs> yeah and I'm, I'm not the busiest ref right if you look at the busiest refs they're way far more than that yeah yeah, yeah. well we've always talked about the idea of professionalizing the referees and having having you you know be paid you know like a professional player to 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 do that do you think that's a good idea or is is it do you think it's possible 
A good idea, yes, definitely, because the standard of refereeing would would rise as well. Yeah. Because if you do it on a full-time basis, you're just better at it. Right. Um, whether it's possible, depends. There are glimpses of it being possible already, yeah. but it's definitely going to be possible if you become an, become an Olympic sport. Right? Uh, so yeah. hopefully, maybe one day, yeah, I'd love to. That'd be pretty neat if you were... Uh refereeing a you know a medal match at the uh, at the Olympics maybe maybe you'd be a little more nervous or maybe you'd be I don't know less nervous well hopefully I'd be just the same nervous as I am in every in any match yeah right because you have to treat each match each match alike I mean a fail is just a match away right you you never know what to expect and uh, yeah that would be something that's actually my my dream to ref at the Olympics. You've refereed at the Commonwealth Games? Have you done the Commonwealth Games? No, no, you, because Slovenia was never a part of the Commonwealth, right, so they won't let on, you only those referees from those, those countries get, get selected. Get it, yeah. I ref the World Games, though. Yeah. Seen one major event. And in that, Poland. That, that, uh, actually in Colombia. And that was quite an yeah. event to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're doing the World Games in uh, the States in a couple of years, in 2021. Oh. Uh, Birmingham. Didn't, didn't know that. Alabama. Um, which uh, which event have you enjoyed the most as a referee, or which event is harder for you? I mean, the TOC is pretty crazy because it's it's so noisy. Um, what, 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 which which events do you love working at? Interesting question. Interesting question. Uh, well, we get treated really well wherever we go. Mm. Uh, people are awfully nice, and. TOC is a spectacular event. I was really happy to do that one, but uh, well, from the point of view where we had probably the most fun was the Cayman Islands, World Open at the Cayman Islands. That was like something spectacular. The hotel was on the Seven Mile Beach. It's difficult to beat that one. Um, it was the Women's World Open, yeah. and I mean the atmosphere was amazing. Yeah. There was a DJ in the club playing reggae music all, all day long between the matches. Girls were dancing between the matches. It was just like unprecedented atmosphere. Uh, other than that, as I said, so far I've had an amazing time wherever I went. I've yeah. seen countries like South Africa, Pakistan, India, Hong Kong. As long as you respect people and respect their ways, they're going to accept you open-handed. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You got to be uh, humble and uh, open to uh, open to learning. Yeah, I mean, you don't go around Pakistan in shorts, right? You, you just have to do it the way they do it. Yeah, as they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Well, it applies to all the cities. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Not really. I think you covered more than I would think to ask myself. So I can only thank you for your time. Oh, it's been... Outside the Glass would like to thank our producer, Grant Irving, and all our loyal listeners who have reviewed and rated the podcast, shared their enthusiasm for it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and more importantly, have spread the word by talking about Outside the Glass with their squash friends. And may all your nicks roll.